0: Pursuing the Truth, Living in Love, Veritas is a grassroots network of Catholic young adults growing together in Christ. For more information or to see a schedule of Veritas events, visit CatholicVeritas.com. That's Catholic V-E-R-I-T-A-S dot com. Today's podcast features a monk's cellar event with Father Matthew Spencer of the Oblates of St. Joseph. He is the host of the internationally broadcasted radio program, St. Joseph's Workshop, and has spoken at Veritas events many times to great acclaim. In this episode, Father Matthew explores not only the patronage of Saint Joseph in the universal church today, but also why our own personal devotion to the earthly Father of Jesus is so essential, especially right now. Let's tune in. So our spirit, as I said
1: he has been something of a, of a father to this group, and so we're very grateful, and we're very, we're very honored that um, you know we've seen him sort of rise through the ranks. He was once just a lowly speaker <laughs> at, Never. at the likes of pubs Never. like these, <laughs> and then a the fast-talking guy from Relevant Radio gave him this huge international radio contract, so he's heard every day on relevant radio. No, really, he's a radio host. You know, you, how many of you have heard St. Joseph's workshop on relevant radio? And 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 then that wasn't it, because he got promoted again. Uh, this is kind of sad for us, because you might have heard, he's been uh, asked to serve as the provincial of the of St. Joseph. Uh, so, uh, Thank you. Thank you. Really, uh, we are blessed to have him here tonight. We're blessed to have him very present to us for the last, going on a decade. Yeah. Um, so uh, please join me in thanking Father Matthew Spencer for being here tonight. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Yeah, it's been, um, it'll be 10 years this July that I've been a priest, and I've spent, uh almost nine of those here inside of the diocese so almost my whole time as a priest I've been well friends with John and helping out at Veritas and uh, it, what a blessing it's been uh, John's John's right in um, March probably I'll be moving to Santa Cruz uh, don't cry I, I'm not crying you know <laughs> it's a pretty nice gig I have going on but uh, <laughs> but I will miss you and um, so I'm glad to uh, to meet tonight Uh, Why don't we start with a prayer? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask you to send forth your Holy Spirit upon us that we might be enlightened by the light of your grace, by the gift of your Spirit. May we always have the intercession of our Blessed Mother and Saint Joseph. We invoke the protection of our Blessed Mother as we pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Okay, a little pop quiz. Who is the longest reigning Pope in history? Super easy. Nope. Nope got to go further back Peter Peter Peter, St. Peter oh everybody groans like you should have known that right St. Peter estimated to have been Pope eh, 34 37 years something like that who's the second longest reigning Pope though Pius the ninth Pius the ninth beatified by I think it was Benedict the 16th right I want to start out today's uh, topic tonight. We're gonna look at St. Joseph. We're gonna look at the troubles that are going on in the church and what St. Joseph uh, teaches us about responding to those challenges and difficulties, but I want to start by looking at Pius IX for reasons that will become, uh, I think, pretty clear. Okay, so Pius IX lived in Rome in the Vatican, right, for a long time, but for his whole papacy, There was incredible animosity between Italy and the church, right? I mean, you had Italy, which was trying to come together, be united as a a nation state that wanted to kick out the Catholic Church. In fact, they saw all of the land that the church held. And they, well, since the unification began in, in that century, the 19th century, they wanted to confiscate all of those lands. Pius IX is famous for having said that he's a prisoner inside of the Vatican, because he would not leave the Vatican. He was afraid that if he left, Italy and the forces that were assembling together in this unification would come in, confiscate the land, and then uh, the church wouldn't have any, any lands there. But in the process, as you might be aware, just from our church history, eventually the church did lose the papal states, right? Eventually... The temporal power of the church was was dramatically diminished. And that is the land, the influence, the money that the church had had, had diminished quite a bit. Right? That wasn't the only problem though that, that Pius IX faced. Now blessed Pius IX. There were also issues of, well, a lot of errors and heresies that were being promulgated in his time. He published a famous document you might have heard of it called the syllabus of errors right which attacks uh, you know condemns a lot of the modern heresies that exist Um, he was faced with a lot of trouble and a lot of difficulty uh, and he had to put up with it for I think uh, almost 32 years somewhere around 31 years and seven months he was Pope that he had he had to live through this experience and that whole time being persecuted, wondering what was going to happen with the church and and where the Lord was leading the church, and would the church even exist in the same way throughout his pontificate? Uh, It did exist, right? It did survive, and here we are. And in large part, that is attributable to one particular act, one particular decision that Pius IX made. Uh, In fact, there were a lot of political decisions, a lot of uh, important things that he did along the way. But there's one I want to talk about, focus on, that was the result actually of many decades of petitioning of the Pope. For many decades, different Catholics around the world had been reaching out to various popes and saying, we need more devotion to St. Joseph we need to invoke Saint Joseph as our protector and our patron. Uh, As you might be aware, the church moves rather slowly, right? So the church received at the highest levels these petitions from powerful people, right? Cardinals, uh, bishops, different individuals who, who were petitioning various popes, especially in the 18th century. But it was Pius IX, confronted on all sides, by what he saw as dangers to the church that he decided, OK, enough, enough. We need to turn to St. Joseph. We need to turn to St. Joseph and now name him as the patron and protector of the Catholic Church. right? And so he did. In a very short proclamation, a very small text, he named St. Joseph patron of the Universal Church. Okay. Uh, Let me stop there for one moment. That's a lot of church history. Why in the world would St. Joseph be a good patron of the universal church? Why would he be a good protector of the church of God? I mean, I could think of a lot of other people. I mean, St. Peter comes to mind, right? St. Augustine, St. Ambrose, lots of doctors of the church that I could imagine would be really have uh, kind of the stature or the... Theological grounding, maybe even the the intellectual prowess to claim that title as protector and patron of the church. Why Saint Joseph? Actually, I'm not really interested in your opinion. I I, <laughs> I want to know why why Blessed Pius the Ninth decided that he should be patron of the church. So, if you don't know, you can make an educated guess. Yes. Because the church petitioned it, and because Saint Joseph was a layman, a layman, one of one, a member of the church. Okay, he was the patron of his hometown. He was the patron of his hometown. Okay, yeah. he, was the of the holy family. he was the protector of the holy family. Yeah, that's that. We're getting much closer. Yeah, yeah. Our if Our Lady is like the church, and Saint Joseph protected Our Lady, yeah. Uh, that's that's really good I mean these are really good insights actually everything that was said is is actually true right and theologically based Um, that's a good start right being true but um there's there's the explanation to me by blessed Pius the ninth is really beautiful this is what he said he said look to Joseph of Egypt inside of the book of Genesis you know Joseph of Egypt right His brothers uh, abandoned him in the desert, threw him down into a well before they decided, wait a sec, we could sell him off into slavery. Sold him off into slavery, then he found himself imprisoned by Pharaoh. And then slowly, the Pharaoh realized, wow, this man has a gift, a gift of interpreting dreams. And not only a gift of interpreting dreams, but now this man has a gift of, of administration, of wisdom. A gift of grace that I've never seen before and what does jo- uh, what does Pharaoh do Scripture says he put Joseph in charge of all of his possessions he put Joseph in charge of all of his possessions right he Joseph became the steward of all of the kingdom of or the reign of, of Egypt right And so you and I know from the book of Genesis that during the reign of Pharaoh, Joseph saved not only the people in Egypt, but the whole world by carefully preparing provisions, carefully preparing for a great famine that was going to strike the earth. And Joseph himself, because he stockpiled all of this grain and prepared to take care of of not only the people in Egypt, but all of the people of the world, right? then he, um, he performed this amazing, magnificent service and uh, demonstrated his capability. Okay, back to Pius IX. Pius IX said, if Joseph of Egypt was entrusted with all of the goods of the kingdom of, of Egypt, then how much more would Joseph of Nazareth be entrusted with the greatest possessions, the greatest goods, that God our Father in Heaven has. And what are those goods? His Son and our Blessed Mother, right? So, Blessed Pius IX said, clearly, clearly, St. Joseph has a special role as patron of the church because in fact, he is the fulfillment of Joseph of Egypt who cared for all of the possessions of the Pharaoh and now Joseph of Nazareth was entrusted with the greatest of all possessions possessions in quotation marks right the greatest of the treasures of our father in heaven Jesus his very son and our Blessed Mother it's awesome isn't it awesome I mean when you look at this okay this is not accidental this didn't come out of nowhere in fact Blessed Pius IX was very much devoted to our Blessed Mother do you guys know who um, who proclaimed the dogma of the Immaculate Conception no Pius the ninth Pius the ninth yeah who convoked the first Vatican Council and proclaimed papal infallibility when was that proclaimed the Feast of the Immaculate Conception December 8th 1878 right I mean this is this is this is a man who is so devoted to our Blessed Mother and saw the intimate connection between St. Joseph and our Blessed Mother, right? I guess, um, to me, it's just important. What I'm trying to emphasize is that this was not just because of the particular petitions that Blessed Pius IX had received. Yeah, those were part of it. It's not just because there was great devotion inside of Italy to St. Joseph. That was part of it, maybe. It's because the Holy Spirit inspired the successor of St. Peter, the vicar of Christ, to have this beloved devotion to our Blessed Mother, who then in turn revealed this beautiful devotion to St. Joseph to him. He in turn entrusted the church to St. Joseph, right? All of this is part of God's plan. All of this is part of the amazing uh, providence that God works through. I want to read, just so you hear it from his words, I want to read to you a a short passage from blessed Pius IX from Quema Modum Deus, which is the the short document which proclaimed uh, Saint Joseph the protector or patron of the universal church. As Almighty God appointed Joseph, son of the patriarch Jacob, over all the land of Egypt to save grain for the people, so when the fullness of time had come, and he was about to send to earth his only begotten son, the savior of the world, he chose another Joseph, of whom the first had been the type, and he made him the lord and chief of his household and possessions, the guardian of his choicest treasures. Right? Beautiful. Beautiful. I mean, he summarized it in one minute what I was taking ten minutes to explain, right? Uh, okay. Uh, this is... Uh, So important and affected, actually, Pius the Ninth successor, who was, who knows who Pius the Ninth successor was, not Pius the Tenth, Leo the Thirteenth, right? Leo the Thirteenth, Leo the the Thirteenth published a document. See, the the problems in the church didn't end when Blessed Pius the Ninth passed away. the The problems in the church almost uh, I don't want to say multiplied, but continued, right, to the point where Leo XIII, very afraid, very worried about what was happening to the church, decided that not only was St. Joseph going to be the patron of the church, in fact, he was going to propose a prayer that would be recited after every rosary that would invoke the protection of St. Joseph. Has anybody here prayed the prayer of St. Leo XIII to St. Joseph after the rosary? My goodness, yeah, I know by uh, the vast majority of us have it uh, that's a real shame but i'm so excited for you because you get to discover that prayer tonight right i'm really excited for you because a prayer that you've never seen is one that now can become part of your daily rosary because i know you're already praying the daily rosary right uh, so um, i'm not gonna share the text with you here just look up the prayer of saint leo the 13th to saint joseph after the rosary fantastic beautiful prayer okay it essentially talks about how now that we've just entrusted to Joseph I'm, I'm sorry to our Blessed Mother all of the needs and petitions that we have now we're going to present all of our uh, cares to St. Joseph as well okay St. Joseph I'm sorry St. Leo the 13th proclaimed this in a document called Quam Quam Plutius. I, I want to share with you a short quotation from that document okay uh, I had about two pages I wanted to read to you and I realized everybody's eyes would glaze over if I read to you that long so I'm just going to share with you a very short passage but to me this kind of captures Leo XIII's devotion to St. Joseph the importance of St. Joseph in our own lives now the divine house which Joseph ruled with the authority of a father contained within its limits the scarce-born Church, from the same fact that the Most Holy Virgin is the mother of Jesus Christ, is she the mother of all Christians whom she bore on Mount Calvary and the supreme throes of the redemption. Jesus Christ is in a manner the firstborn of Christians, who by the adoption and redemption are his brothers, and for such reasons the blessed patriarch looks upon the multitude of Christians who make up the Church. As confided specially to his trust this limitless family spread over the earth over which because he is the spouse of Mary and the father of Jesus Christ he holds as it were a paternal authority it is then natural and worthy that as the blessed as the blessed Joseph ministered to all the needs of the family at Nazareth and girded about with his protection he should now cover with the cloak of his heavenly patronage and defend the church of Jesus Christ. Man, that's awesome, right? I forget who said, right, that just as Joseph cared for Mary, and Mary is an image of the church, so he cares he's the protector of the church, and that theology is spot on, right? That's what Leo XIII was, was echoing there. I mean, think about that. Just as Joseph cared and protected for Mary, and just as Joseph cared and protected for Jesus, the, the, the first of all Christians, if we could say it that way, as Leo XIII uh, kind of infers, implies, uh, so Joseph now takes care of the whole church, you and me. St. Joseph protects us, intercedes for us, watches over us, and guards us, okay? Um, these are the foundations with which I want to I wanna move now to our present time. We're going through a hard time in the church right now, right? We're going through a difficult time. But let's put things into context. The church was going through some really hard times in the 19th century, too. The church was going through some really hard times in the 17th century, too. The church was going through some really hard times in the 16th century and the 15th century. And you can go back through. I'm not trying to find out, well, is ours the worst or not. I'm not saying that. Ours are really bad, right? ours are a different type of scandal a type of scandal that never before have we confronted at least in the sense that it's internal in a way that's much deeper right and it's scandalous a scandal of holiness a scandal of of abuse of power a scandal of corruption all of these things but to imagine somehow that our situation is beyond the protection of Saint Joseph is beyond his intercession to imagine somehow that we are beyond his protection and guidance is to me simply wrong, right? <laughs> Not only is it wrong, it's, it's a little bit limited and maybe even prideful to imagine that somehow we ourselves uh, are now beyond the help of God, that we ourselves are beyond the protection and intercession of Saint Joseph. I'm looking around here, I don't see anybody that would claim that, I really don't. But I see a lot of people that might have fallen into that Uh, at least um, inclination of thinking that well could it ever get better from here? Could things in the church ever return to holiness and ever return to the splendor of holiness that God wants his church to reflect? And I think yes right? I think that through the intercession of St. Joseph and through the grace of God there is much that we are hopeful for. There is much that you and I can look forward to meanwhile we are in the thick of things right we are in the trenches Uh, not just priests and not just uh, bishops but you as lay people are also finding yourselves in a position where you need to defend the church where you need to protect Holy Mother Church or where you need to sometimes uh, you know carve out the wound and the the festering uh, lesion that has afflicted the church right uh, I, I want to look at some qualities of Saint Joseph. Maybe continue along the lines of Blessed Pius IX, Leo XIII. I don't claim these are as <laughs> these are inspired, uh, like theirs were. I don't claim that these are something um, special that the Church should remember. But I think important points of reflection for you and for me that oftentimes forget about how Saint Joseph can be a model, an example for a Church in great crisis. Okay what i what i did first of all that i want to i want to do is um walk you through some of the titles of saint joseph in the litany to saint joseph i didn't include all of them it's a beautiful litany it's one of the few that's approved for public veneration and public use inside of the church one of the few litanies i should say so i encourage you if you've never prayed the litany of saint joseph to look it up Um, i just want to select a few titles that the Church uses for St. Joseph and reflect on how these titles help us to understand his intercession and his example in the troubled times in which we live, okay? One of the titles given to St. Joseph is Light of Patriarchs. See, as St. Joseph was in the line of the great patriarchs, we realized that the patriarchs themselves didn't have the fullness of truth. They didn't have Jesus Christ present to them but St. Joseph did and St. Joseph could hold up Jesus to illuminate the world and illuminate all of those who are longing for light who are caught in the shadow of darkness and looking for some measure of hope right this is why St. Joseph is invoked as the light of the patriarchs because he leads all of those generations before him to Jesus and I would say all of those after him as well to Jesus, including you and me. When we live in a time that feels very dark, right? When we live in a time that feels very hopeless, maybe, because of sin, because of abuse, because of crisis, we need to look to Christ. We need to look to his light. What better place to look to that That. Then in the arms of Jesus, and Ma- I'm sorry, in the arms of Joseph and Mary, right? So we look to Joseph as the light of the patriarchs because he holds up Jesus for us. For us, Joseph is also invoked as spouse of the Mother of God. I don't recall if I've ever shared uh, at a Veritas event. The the um, probably I have. So forgive me if you've heard this before. Uh, a, a brother oblate of mine was publishing a book. Um, And it was a book on St. Joseph it was a book translated from uh, Portuguese by one of our confreres and it was a rather a a simple book you know a question-and-answer book explaining different theological points of St. Joseph and he was going to go to publication with this book and the book was entitled husband father worker husband father worker and he showed me the the text and the proposed cover and these kinds of things and I remember saying to him, um, I, was, I was not ordained yet, I was a seminarian, I was still, you know, green in my theology of St. Joseph, I, but it seemed rather odd to me that father would be the second title. I mean, Joseph's relationship to Jesus, wouldn't that be more important than his role as husband? Husband, father, worker. I understood why worker was the final one. It wasn't as maybe essential to Joseph's vocation, but seem like father of the Messiah, earthly father of the Messiah, would be more significant. And um, I got schooled by this brother Oblate of mine, right, who essentially said, well, look, there's no way he could be a father to Jesus before he was husband to Mary. And in fact, the only way he was a father was through his relationship to Mary. So he, in fact, has always been identified first by his devotion, by his vocation to our blessed Mother, that's why the feast of March nineteenth, the principal feast of Saint Joseph, is known officially as Saint Joseph, husband of Mary, right? Saint Joseph, husband of Mary, not Saint Joseph, earthly father of Jesus, not Saint Joseph, light of patriarchs. Saint Joseph, husband of Mother, uh, Husb- husband of Mary. That's why one of the titles we invoke inside of the, the litany is spouse of the mother of God. A twofold fold uh, confirmation of Joseph's role as husband to Mary and father to earthly father of Jesus. But also, you notice, a confirmation of Jesus's divinity. Right? Uh, I think there is nothing more needed probably in our own times than for Jesus to be recognized again as God. right? than for Jesus to be recognized as the Messiah and Savior of the world. Everybody in our time is looking for a Savior, whether they know it or not. Everybody in the world is looking for something to save them from the sin that afflicts them and the pain that uh, constantly troubles them. Uh, Saint Joseph proclaims to us, God himself, come in the flesh for you and for me as husband of Mary. Beautiful, right? Um, St. Joseph is also head of the Holy Family. I I don't think we need to belabor this point too much because as we mentioned, as Leo XIII reminded us, St. Joseph is himself, right? As he cared for Mary, as he protected Jesus, he is in fact, therefore, the protector and patron of the church. This is one of the reasons why St. Joseph is invoked as head of the Holy Family, because it has implications in his relationship with us too, right? It's not just about, oh yeah, 2,000 years ago, you did a good job back then, right? It's about, now, you're continuing that work by continuing the, the other family that you have instituted here on, on the, in the world, your, your church, right? There, there is a sixfold invocation inside of the middle of, of the litany of St. Joseph, which talk about qualities, characteristics that St. Joseph has in superlative terms. So it says, Saint, uh, Joseph most just, Joseph most prudent, Joseph most chaste, Joseph most obedient. I mean, look at those titles and realize, tell me which of those titles is not important in terms of remedying the church right now, in terms of confronting the evils that address the church right now. We need justice. We need prudence. We need chastity. We need obedience. We need poverty. We need, I mean, I won't get into (laughs) diving too deeply because I want to talk about these in just a moment. But to me, the fact that these are identified as principal qualities of St. Joseph remind us of who he is and why right now in our time, his characteristics are so necessary for our own life, right? We need people who are just beyond earthly terms. We need people who are prudent, beyond earthly measure. We need people who are chaste, right? Connecting to our Blessed Mother and to St. Joseph and living after the example of, of Jesus. We need people who are obedient, right? Uh, all of these qualities. Uh, two more from the litany. I could, I could have done the whole evening on the litany, but I want to I wanna share with you a few other points here. Two more from, from uh, the litany that I want to highlight. Um, one is this. Model of artisans model model of artisans Um, I have to tell you this is kind of dangerous sharing this in a public setting and knowing that this is being recorded I've been thinking for a while about a book a book that I've been wanting to call the craft of Catholicism right Uh, it's not only because I brew beer at home and I like craft beer right but it's because also to me in our own times I see this need to discover our Catholic faith in a way that is um, that is artistic that gets to the contribution that you and i make with our hands with our creativity with the artisanal spirit that god has given to us right i mean uh, to me sometimes we've lost that sense that you and i are in this and we're called to share our gifts to share the creativity god has given to us and we need to do that we need to be involved in a very intimate, concrete, tangible, uh, uh, incarnational way, right? Um, I love that title, Model of Artisans, not just because St. Joseph is the patron of workers, but because it reminds me that all of us are involved in this creative work of holiness in the world and of crafting saints in the world, beginning with ourselves, right? Um, So to me, I think that's a powerful reminder that St. Joseph is intimately involved in that task not only those who work with stone or work with wood uh, but even those who work with the the matter of the heart right and work with at crafting holiness in the world okay the last title inside of the litany is patron of the church but the whole title is about that so I want to talk about the second to last title anybody know what the second to last title is terror Terror of demons terror who said that Ryan Is is it Ryan All right, I can tell he is your your patron savior. Terror of demons. Um, When I entered the seminary, um, there I was kind of fresh off, you know, trying to learn these things. And every day we pray the litany to St. Joseph. At midday, we gather, my community gathers in the chapel, and we have a few devotional prayers we pray together. We pray the the angelus, we do an examination of conscience, we pray a litany to St. Joseph. And, um, I remember uh, one time doing this litany with um, a fellow seminarian. And um, normally you would say this St. Joseph, terror of demons, pray for us. St. Joseph, protector of the church, pray for us. And uh, this seminarian transposed those last two and said, St. Joseph, terror of the church. <laughs> Everybody automatically said, pray for us. <laughs> then he said, St. Joseph, protector of demons pray for us.
1: Sorry, Brian. Yeah, that, that.
2: Right. Terror of demons. Anybody, can anybody tell me why St. Joseph is the terror of demons? How many exorcisms did St. Joseph do? None that scripture records anyway, right? How many times did he fight evil directly in that way? None that, none that I know from scripture. Anybody know why St. Joseph is invoked as terror of demons? Anybody know what the most frightening thing to the evil one is? The most frightening thing? Humility. humility! Humility! I love it, right? Thank you for answering that. The most frightening thing to the evil one is a humble soul, right? And the evil one cannot touch humility, because the evil one is full of pride, right? So St. Joseph's terror of demons principally because of the humility that he bore in his vocation to be husband of Mary and earthly father of of Jesus, right? Um, In this time inside of our church, I see the need for humility, right? The need for humility in our our shepherds, in uh, the co-workers with our shepherds, in the priests, in the deacons, and believe me, I'm putting myself right out there first, right? I, I know I need to work on this too, right? But also in the people of God. It's very easy. It's very easy to fall into pride in this world, especially when we think we're doing the right thing, especially when we think we know certain situations, especially when we think we're the ones holding on to truth or holding on to you know, the, the, the deposit of faith and thinking that others aren't. Um, It's very important, very important to always be humble in this endeavor, right? To address the ills of the church and to address whatever is happening, we have to stay humble as St. Joseph stayed humble. Okay, I have, um, I promise I won't talk much longer, my voice isn't gonna last much longer. Um, I have four points of reflection that I wanna provide for you. All those other stuff, you can forget about it, right? It's not that big of a deal. (laughs) I have four things though, if you you remember a few things from this talk, I'd encourage you to remember uh, these four things, okay? About why St. Joseph gives us the example of what we need to confront the evils in our own time and to address the crisis inside of the church today. Four characteristics of St. Joseph that go along with all that we've talked about up till now, but that I think are particularly apropos to his role right now, okay? Uh, by the way, after, after I'm done with these four and after a couple more conclu- concluding thoughts, we can kind of open up the floor. And um, I'm very comfortable talking about uh, your concerns with the church, right? I'm very comfortable talking about what's going on and how we're addressing it. Obviously, um, I speak only for myself, and I'm you know, always going to speak only in union with the church and with my religious community. So if you're looking to foment, right, um, for me to grab my pitchfork and do something you're probably looking in the wrong direction but I'm happy to talk about these things and I'm happy to to hear and and talk about this so if that's on your mind then please hold on to it but in order to get there four characteristics of st. Joseph four qualities that he can remind us of as we're trying to make it through these tough times in the church the first is you know you know well it's one of the most well-known things about st. Joseph is that he he never said a word that is recorded inside of scripture It doesn't mean he was mute it means that scripture doesn't record his words in fact the only word that we're sure he said is the name of Jesus right because he was obligated to proclaim the name of Jesus to give uh, Jesus his name in the temple um, but to me there's a it's, it's amazing to think about this person who was so silent in a time where words are so cheap, where communication is just so, I mean, it's, it's so chaotic, the world today. You look at social media, you look at people with blogs, you look at just the, the amount of things that can be published so easily in print and digitally. Um, I think sometimes we fall into the trap thinking, well, if only I can find the right explanation, if only I can refute the right errors, if only I can describe the perfect, uh, you know, explanation or create the perfect meme, I'm going to convince the world that we're right, right? And I think St. Joseph reminds us that sometimes success is found in silence. Sometimes we prevail not by many words, but by silent fidelity to God's will. I'm not saying that we don't respond. I'm not saying that we should stay silent in the midst of great, great evils. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is when our words uh, are not doing good, and when our words are not serving uh, the process and, of healing in the church, how important it is for us to be careful. It's very easy for you and for me to fall into sins of uh, detraction, calumny, gossip, rumor. I mean, it's very easy for us to, um, to throw under the bus God's chosen people, um, we have to be very careful about doing the judgments that we make and the things that we say especially when we don't know all of the information that is not backing off of an argument it's not backing away from something it's being very prudent and careful in how we respond are there times to speak absolutely right yes of course but there are also times when silence works a lot better than the many words that we want to say especially when We want to say them out of rage or out of frustration or or, um, things like that, right? Okay, so the first one, love silence, okay? The second one, this almost sounds like the serenity prayer when I was reflecting on it. I I promise I wasn't trying to, you know, steal it from the serenity prayer, but I was looking at Joseph going, did you notice when, when he could change something, he did, and when he couldn't change something, he didn't, right? How often St. Joseph, when he could act, he did. And he did it immediately. Four times an angel appears to St. Joseph inside of, uh, inside of his life that we know of that's recorded in scripture. right? And every time, immediately, he gets up and he acts. He knows what he's supposed to do and he, he does it. In fact, even when he didn't have uh, a revelation from an angel, he thought that he was supposed to address this issue When he discovered our blessed mother now expecting the messiah and in his humility in his reverent awe for this mystery he decided to divorce mary quietly he decided tried to change what he could and then of course the angel comes to him and says no no that's not what you're called to do right and saint joseph then uh, again acts changes what he can but there are many times where he cannot change he cannot Uh, heal things. I'm thinking, for example, of when Herod is about to murder all of the toddlers in Bethlehem. All of the toddlers that might threaten his throne. Can St. Joseph save them? St. Joseph has to flee to protect Jesus. Do you think he's happy about that? Do you think he's uh, excited to have to abandon? No. But he realizes that's not his vocation, and in fact, that's why we have a feast day for the holy innocents, right, who, who proclaim with their blood before they could, even with words, uh, their, their love for Christ. So sometimes we can change things, and when we can, we need to act. Sometimes we can't, and when we can't, we need to surrender to God's providence. We need to trust in God's providence, right? I think St. Joseph does this well. Maybe the hard part is discerning what we can and can't change, right? That's maybe the harder part there, but maybe a reflection there for ourselves. What, what can I do when the church is facing such evils? What am I called to do, and what, what am I not called to do? Um, the, so, love silence, right? Change the things you can. Uh, trust God when there are things you can't change. Uh, the third one is one of the principal virtues of St. Joseph that is one of the reasons, well, probably, besides God's grace, one of the main reasons why we're talking about him today, which is his obedience, right? As I just said, every time he was commanded to do something, he did it. Scripture calls him the just man because he was obedient to the law, because he was faithful to God's command, because he loved God's commands, right? He was obedient. And it was obedience that saved him. Um, you know, I, I guess I could share with you my thoughts on Father, is it uh, Father McCloskey? Uh, I don't know if you've heard, uh, the Washington Post recently uh, shared these revelations about a, a priest of Opus Dei who, um, who was accused of um, inappropriate behavior with women. I think it was groping of some sort. I don't know the details of the allegations. And based on those allegations and apparently the, the, the veracity of them, the substance to them, Opus Dei paid out, I think, almost a million dollars to that. Um, it's interesting. I don't know if you're aware of the, the, the rules, the precepts that Opus Dei follows. One of the things that they follow is that um, they never meet with spiritual directees and conf- confes- uh, penitents uh, face-to-face, or that is, without some kind of barrier there, without some kind of safeguard, right? And that sounds so... It sounds so uh, old, right? It sounds so ancient. I mean, Mike Pence, when he talked about not having dinner with anybody but his wife, was ridiculed for it, right? Father McCloskey, unfortunately, stopped following that rule. And there, now we're talking about him inside of the press, right? I don't know the veracity of these things, but I do know that there was a great lack of, of uh, prudence and possibly obedience in how he met with these people. Right, and if he had been obedient to his rule, the simple rule of his religious community, then he wouldn't find himself in this situation. So obedience is something that safeguards the rest of our life. Right, obedience is something that protects everything else in our life. How quickly we're, we turn away from obedience and say, "Well, I don't, I don't need to do that. That's a law for for the old times." For People before me, I have the virtues to avoid sin and temptation. I have, I don't have to follow those antiquated rules. As soon as we're saying that, we're putting ourselves in very grave danger, right? I think Saint Joseph gives us a, a great example of obedience. Okay, finally, um, maybe the most important thing uh, for for us to remember: Saint Joseph stayed close to our Blessed Mother, right? Saint Joseph stayed close to Mary and therefore stayed close to Jesus. If you and I can stay close to Jesus and close to Mary in these difficult times, in times when we're wondering what's happening in the church, when we're wondering when truth is going to come out, when we're wondering how these evils will be uh, avoided in in the future, uh, I think we have to stay close to Mary, right? We have to be praying to her, invoking her, trusting in her protection, learning from her. Um, And if we do that, then uh, we're, we're on we're on a surefire road to uh to the lord and um accompanied by saint joseph okay okay um that's uh, where i'm going to stop i have some uh, a final prayer that we can say afterwards but i'm going to open it up for uh question and answer or comments or whatever's on your mind okay so um <clears throat> the the question is in uh, in these times, one of the things we're asked most often is, "Well, why do we stay Catholic if um, it's such a mess here, right? Why do we stay Catholic if um, we see so many evils inside of the Church?" And what would my response to that be? Uh, my response would be because it's true. Um, the The Catholic Church never claims that its truth is based on the holiness of its individuals. The Church has never said that we are true because Uh, we have uh, saintly people who are always going to be guiding it in fact um, various people authors and uh, and uh, individuals have said throughout the world the the greatest testimony to the to the the authenticity of the church is that after 2,000 years we haven't managed to destroy it right Um, because even in all of this you know um, the church continues um, so to me, the the answer is is somewhat of well, because I I believe that Christ founded this church. I think the answer is a really good doorway to get at what people think the church is, what people think our faith is. Sadly, I know certain individuals who have stopped going to mass. You know, certain people have reached out to me and told me, Father, I can't go to mass anymore. Um, to me, that's the. That's the absolute worst thing you can do in a time like this. Uh, but it is an opportunity for us to say, well, if, if that's causing people from going to Mass, then in fact, they, they, forgive me, I don't mean to judge her, but maybe they didn't really understand what Mass is about and what, why we're going to Mass. Because if, if Mass depended on the holiness of the priest up there celebrating it, I'm sorry we're all in grave jeopardy, right? Um, because I am not a saint, right? Under construction, maybe, but I have a long way to go, right? If the holiness of the Eucharist depended on Father Matthew, then, uh, sorry, the world's not going to go anywhere, right? Um, So I I guess I see it's an opportunity for us to, to share testimony of what we actually believe. Well, I believe that the church is true. And I believe that the gates of hell will not prevail over this church. And I believe that Jesus remains with his church. And I believe that, yeah, there are some evil uh, actions and people who cooperated with evil in extremely grave ways in the church, whether that's protecting abusers, whether that's abusing themselves. But I also see that um, even that, right, even that can be um, excised and and won't destroy the church of Christ. Okay, maybe the question is uh, what now, right? Uh, What happens in the church now? Um, I think there's a lot that needs to happen inside of our church right Uh, if we are gonna gain or restore credibility to people within the church and to people outside of the church a lot of things need to happen Um, we need to um, we need to address and uh, and avoid or or somehow never allow the types of corruption and cover-up that that were facilitated within the church in years past um, clearly we still have a ways to go with this right I mean still in our own time we're seeing uh, revelations of cover-up and even lying perhaps and at least uh, at least disinformation being shared um, so we have a long way to go uh, but that's only part of it I think we also have to recognize why are we at this point right um, what is what is the cause of much of this. Now, we could say very simply the cause is original sin. And that's true. I believe that, but that's not good enough. We have to say, well, what is the cause of abuse inside of the church? What is the cause of cover-up inside of the church? And to me, when it becomes systemic like it is now, it means evaluating, well, how are bishops chosen and does that system work, right? How are men vetted to the priesthood and does that system work and what are the qualities that a man needs to have? And what are the qualities that a man can't ever have if we expect him to, to function as a priest, right? So um, these are some of the issues that I think need to be addressed. Some things that I think we, um, at the, the, the summit that's going to happen in the Vatican, when is that? In a couple weeks? I forget now when um, all the presidents of the conferences of bishops around the world are going to gather with Pope Francis and talk about this crisis. Um, so from a from an internal management standpoint i think that's there Uh, but but really what what interests me is like what are what are you and i going to do to continue sharing the gospel in the world right um because jesus doesn't say well if your superiors fail you then you're off the hook right jesus doesn't say well if you have a bad bishop then don't worry you don't need to share the gospel right i mean we have to share the gospel whether we have shepherds who are really with it or shepherds who have gone astray we need to do it if we have priests who are guiding us really well or priests who are not right so how do we do that i mean i think that's happening tonight right i think that's happening in our daily lives by our own conversion and growth and holiness so to me that's a, a major part of this like i look at this and say yeah there needs to be systemic change and yeah there needs to be procedural and management changes. I, I don't disagree with any of that, but fundamentally, I think there also needs to be a, a conversion inside of the hearts of all of the members of the hierarchy and all of the members of the church. And until you and I become saints, right, the church is going to continue to have uh, evils and illness inside of it, sadly, right? Yes, uh, thank you for that question. I'm really happy to answer that. Did I, did I have a strong devotion to Saint jo- to St. Joseph when I when I entered uh, the, the community. I didn't. Uh, you know, I grew up in a family, my parents are Catholic. I was um, catechized young. I went to parochial school, the first four or five years of school. Um, I was taught well by my parents in the faith, then went to Chico State and very quickly, you know, um, <laughs> just kind of lived my own life, right? And wasn't interested as much inside of the faith. Um, when I did eventually start discerning, I wasn't looking for a community of St. Joseph and I really St. Joseph I had almost no devotion to him so when I felt like maybe he was calling me to the Oblates of St. Joseph it was almost one of the reasons why I didn't enter because I said well I couldn't possibly belong to this community I don't really have a devotion to St. Joseph Uh, you know in fact it was quite the opposite I think Uh, God called me in order to make me more devoted to St. Joseph right in order to Gift me with that, that devotion to St. Joseph. Uh, I think that's a really important lesson in the spiritual life and in our life, lives as human beings. If you just go with what you have in your heart, like, well, I really feel like I could go this way with my prayer life. I really feel like I have this, and I was raised with this particular devotion, so I'm going to stick with that. If that's kind of what's guiding you, you're going to miss out on all of these other amazing devotions. and. And paths of spirituality that maybe require more more effort, that require uh, you participating in directly, but that are actually God desiring your growth and your holiness, right? So I guess I'd share, just say with you, maybe you don't have such a great devotion to Saint Joseph. Say, man, am I excited for you, right? Again, as you learn and discover how awesome and incredible he is, uh, just uh, it's 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 awesome. You know, he's great. So. Um, so yeah, it came, it came later and it came with the, the discovery of my own religious and priestly vocation. Yes, so if I was discerning with the community, I wasn't so attracted to St. Joseph, but I, um, but I ended up entering, then what changed my mind to enter? Uh, I'm not sure I could pinpoint it down to one thing. It was like this, um, you know, um, synergy of events that happened that it was like, well, this feels right this seems right, this looks right, this is definitely right. All these different things that by themselves, none of them said this is where you're supposed to be. I never had a vision, never had a dream like St. Joseph, never had this clarity that this is what needs to happen. It was this um, conflation of all of these different things that came together that made, me, um, that made it impossible to ignore. Right. But if I had to pick one of those things, among all of those, I would say what, what, um, what really did it for me were, were the members of my community. So the, the men who were oblates of St. Joseph, uh, it was the way they lived their lives. Um, you, you see I wear a Roman collar here, right? Um, uh, somebody told me my sweater makes me look the least priestly they've ever seen me, which has made me a little self-conscious up here, actually, with a green sweater on. But I wore this because we started ordinary times. So that's, <laughs> Actually, I just made that up, but it is a good excuse. Right? Um, uh, so I guess, you know, what I, the reason I'm talking about what I'm wearing is, um, yeah, I, I wear a cassock sometimes, and that's part of what, what we can wear as oblates, but very often we wear the simple dress of, of diocesan priests among whom we work um, as, a, as a part of the humility of our order, to not distinguish us, to not attract attention to us, to not try and stand out as St. Joseph didn't trying to attract attention to himself and all this. Um, so it was those men, right, in their humility that I started getting to know and thinking they were just these, like, just whatever, just priests up there celebrating Mass, didn't know them. And then I'd start to see their their spiritual lives and I'd start to see that wh- while I thought they just had a, uh, you know, plush job of, you know, a cush job of celebrating Mass occasionally and relaxing in the rectory, they were giving everything they had in service to the gospel. And as soon as I saw a window into that, I thought, you know, I need, a, I need, a, I need something here, you know. So uh, to me, I, I share that with you because um, I think that's how a lot of people find beauty in the church, and that's how a lot of people find their vocation in the church. Is not necessarily intellectually because it's right, although it is. Not because what they see is beautiful, although I hope what you do see is beautiful, but because of the holiness that, that we can find in the church. Yes. Okay. So, um, twofold question here. It seems like uh, the church has been under attack since the very beginning. Um, And do we expect the church to be under attack until the second coming? Um, And the second question was: Remind me here. The second question. Is this how you know this is the true church because it's always been attacked? Is this? Thank you. Is this how you know it's the true church, because it's persecuted and it always will be? Well, I would say um, Jesus, from the very moment he came into the world, was under attack, right? Jesus, from the time he was a tiny infant, was being physically, mortally threatened, right? His life was being being attacked. And of course, he lived in, in great seclusion in Nazareth, but from the moment of his... Coming onto the scene at his baptism and his public preaching, he was under attack. And I think the bride of Christ shares in the same persecutions of Jesus. So, yes, I believe that until he comes again and, and we see the resurrection of the dead, the church will be under attack. Uh, this is the way it is. And is that, um, is that one reason that we can say the church is true? Uh, maybe, you know, I mean, just because somebody's under attack doesn't mean they're right, you know. Just because somebody's experiencing persecution doesn 't mean they don 't deserve it, um, so i would I would I would not say that that 's necessarily the the evidence that this is the true church, but I would say the true church of Jesus will experience what we 're going through. There are other reasons why we can say it is the true church, but good observations I, I, I like those thoughts. Okay, maybe we should finish up. Uh, let me pray a final prayer here for us uh, before I do actually just uh Say this has, uh, for the nine years I've been here, this has always been a great joy of mine. Um, even before being on the radio, I loved coming here more, right? And um, I, I'm so glad to, uh, to share the gospel in this way, such a special way to um, share our faith in a public setting, and yet in a way where we all um, are realizing how blessed we are. Uh, I will be moving to Santa Cruz in mid-March, and a lot in my life will be changing as I, um, as I take on some new responsibilities. Uh, but that doesn't mean I'll be a stranger. You know, I'll be, I'll be around. And actually, if you look at uh, West Cliff Drive in Santa Cruz and see how beautiful it is, maybe you want to come down and visit me there. So, just saying, okay? <laughs> okay. Let us pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grant, we pray, Almighty God, that by Saint Joseph's intercession, Your Church may constantly watch over the unfolding. Of the mysteries of human salvation, whose beginnings you entrusted to his faithful care. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you all. Thank you.
0: granite bay california and saint mel parish in fair oaks california our podcast features recordings of live talks delivered to young adults packed into the best pub in california monk's cellar if you're age 18 through 39 and find yourself in the sacramento area join us at a live event learn more at catholicveritas.com